Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn. It's great to be with you. And today we're talking baseball, America's sport, and part of America's history. But in any country you're in, and for any sport that you play, this story has a special appeal. Most of us here in America love baseball, whether it's played by families using a wiffle ball and trees for bases, or in stadiums that appeal to thousands. And the sport has its own quirks and superstitions. How they came to be is usually a mystery. For instance, since I was a kid, I knew that it was unlucky, while in attendance at a baseball game, to make any mention that the pitcher was pitching a perfect game. My dad passed this word of caution down to me, just as his dad had passed it to him. One little mention, out loud, in a crowd of 50,000, and you had to believe that the entire stadium would suddenly be hushed, and in the next few moments, the pitcher would deliver that 3-2 count ball, bottom of the ninth, last pitch, and be tagged for a base hit. You don't want to be that kid. The guilt would be just too much to bear. The Oxford Language Dictionary defines superstition as an excessively credulous belief in supernatural causation, leading to certain consequences of an action or event. Pretty good definition. And superstitions have been with us forever. Hang garlic on the front door, and it'll keep the vampires away. Black cats mean bad luck. Never pick up a coin when it's tails up. Knock on wood for good luck. And the list goes on. I'm sure you know many. But no amount of old wives' tales can even come close to the beliefs that professional baseball players have. Some of their more common superstitions include purposely stepping on or avoiding stepping on the foul line when taking the field, while others include routines, such as eating only chicken before a game, as did Wade Boggs. Then there's pitcher Justin Verlander eating three crunchy taco supremes, no tomato, a cheesy gordita crunch, and a Mexican pizza, no tomato, from Taco Bell before every start, then drawing in the dirt in the batter's box before an at-bat. Then there's Justin Morneau, the 2006 American League MVP winner, who wears number 33 to honor his idol, ex-National Hockey League goaltender Patrick Roy. His ritual before every Twins home game entails stopping by the same Jimmy John's Gourmet Subs, located on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota, and ordering the same sandwich from the menu, Turkey Tom with no sprouts. Afterwards, as if that wasn't enough, he drinks a Slurpee from a Slurpee machine in the Twins Clubhouse made of one-half Mountain Dew and one-half red or orange flavor. Outfielder Bryce Harper reportedly eats waffles and takes seven showers before games. Superstition's been around in baseball for a long, long time. Certain players go as far as observing superstitions off the field. This includes early 20th century second baseman Andy McConnell. Whenever he was in the middle of a batting slump, he would scavenge the streets and pick up any pin he found, believing this was a sign he would break out of the slump. For 80 years, Boston was kept penniless by the curse of the Bambino, which they said was caused when Boston traded Babe Ruth to the Yankees in 1919. And most folks will tell you, yep, that curse was the real deal. We covered that story a few years ago at 1001 Stories for the Road. I'll never forget how down the Boston fans were for those last years before they finally won the pennant. There was a famous picture circulating on the Internet that left us looking down at two feet perched on the edge of a plane or helicopter. We could tell we were high in the sky because far below those two feet was a city, presumably Boston. Shiny black shoes covered the feet. On the left shoe, in bright white letters, was written, Go. On the right shoe was written, Socks. S-O-X, as in Boston Red Sox. 
we were left to believe that those two feet were about to jump. Talk about diehard fans. Then there was the curse of Shoeless Joe, who was kicked out of baseball for conspiring with a small group of teammates to throw a game for money. The Chicago White Sox didn't win a World Series for the next 88 years. We covered that story as well with an episode called Say It Ain't So, Joe. And then there was the curse of Coogan's Bluff, a curse perpetrated by angry New York fans after their Giants moved to San Francisco in 1957. But these curses paled in comparison, many say, to the curse of the Billy Goat suffered by the Chicago Cubs between 1945 and 2016. Actually, this was a double-bad juju curse, which was leveled by the very angry owner of a billy goat named Murphy. The man's name was William Cianus, and it just so happened that he was the owner of the billy goat tavern in Chicago, which gives us the freedom to think that this whole dust-up might have had promotional underpinnings. He had purchased two tickets that day, it was October 6th, 1945, and it happened to be Game 4 of the World Series being played right there in Chicago. It was a big day for baseball. And a big day for Chicago. The war had just ended, and people wanted to celebrate it by getting back to baseball. The Billy Goat Tavern was opened in 1934 by the previously mentioned William Cianus, nicknamed Billy Goat Cianus, for the simple reason that he was often seen in the company of his pet goat Murphy, and much of that time was spent in the bar. Cianus had bought the bar for $205 using a check that bounced, but was suddenly made good again after opening weekend. The bar was located across the street, which happened to be Michigan Avenue, from the stadium, which is now United Center Arena, where the Blackhawks and Bulls play. While Cianus had arrived on a boat, Murphy the Goat had arrived by a truck, which either hit a bump too hard or took a corner too fast and dumped Murphy onto the street. Murphy the Billy Goat, slightly dazed, recovered quickly and walked into Cianus's bar, which was then called the Lincoln Tavern, and the two, William Cianus and Murphy the Goat, became lifelong friends. Cianus was adept at getting publicity. It just came naturally to him. Obviously, his adopting Murphy and making him a fixture in the bar was a testament to that. When the Republican convention came to town in 1944, Cianus posted a sign outside the bar reading, No Republicans Allowed, knowing that the sign would produce just the opposite effect. And it did. The place was soon overflowing with Republicans demanding to be served. We'll return to the curse of the billy goat right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to our story. The Chicago Cubs were at one time one of the most popular and successful baseball teams in America. They were one of the original eight major league teams, carrying the name the Chicago White Stockings, beginning in 1876 and winning six of the first 11 championship titles, including that very first year's title in 1876 in late October. To give you an idea how long ago that was, it was four months after Custer's last stand. The National League of Baseball Clubs, today's National League, was formed in Chicago when the owner of the Chicago Baseball Club, William Hulbert, formed it to legitimize baseball, which he said was then mismanaged, corrupted, and full of drunken rowdies that called themselves baseball players. He wanted something better, so he formed his own league. The teams played 70 games between April 22nd and October 21st. The Cubs as we know them today came into existence in 1903, the year that the World Series game started. And between 1903 and 1945, the Cubs won the pennant 16 times and the World Series 10 of those times. They were as hot as a team could be until the GOAT arrived on October 6th of 1945, 
and all that winning came to a screeching halt. That was probably the saddest day in Cubs history. The Cubs had entered Game 4 of the World Series. They were leading the Detroit Tigers two games to one, and they needed to win only two of the next four games played at Wrigley Field to win it all. Just before that fateful fourth game, William Billy Goat Cianis had approached the ticket window with Murphy and purchased two tickets to that day's game. He was hoping to bring the team some good luck. Murphy was probably hoping to get some cold beer, which he had gotten used to back at the bar. This, according to some of the pictures in the bar's historical records. But there at the entrance, just past the ticket window, the Andy Fran ushers stopped Billy Goat from entering, saying no animals allowed in the park. Cianis appealed to the owner, P.K. Wrigley, who replied, Let Billy in, but not the goat. Why not the goat? Cianis asked, and Wrigley answered, perhaps unwisely, because the goat stinks. He could have just answered that rules were rules, but Wrigley wasn't the kind of guy you messed with, and he was a direct talker. The goat stinks, he said. At that point, according to legend, Cianis threw up his arms and exclaimed, the Cubs ain't going to win no more. The Cubs are never going to win no World Series so long as this goat isn't allowed in Wrigley Field. He said this loud and proud enough that lots of people heard it, so the curse had been officially leveled. I don't know if Greek curses are more powerful than, let's say, Indian curses or Gypsy curses, but that one cast a pall over the stadium, and the Cubs not only lost Game 4, they got swept out of the series. Billy Goat Cianis then sent a letter to Wrigley stating, who stinks now? For the next 20 years, throughout the remainder of Billy Goat Cianis' life, the Cubs would finish in fifth place or lower, establishing a pattern that earned them the nickname of lovable losers, as well as others that can't be repeated here. The World Series became a pipe dream for the Cubs, who had to invent excuses like, this is a building year, and just wait till next year. Hey, it's fun just to go. They don't have to win every game. If this reminds you of the post-83 Baltimore Orioles, I can't help making the comparison. I was a big fan of them for years, but they have traded off so many great players since 83 that if you put them all together, you'd have a dream all-star dynasty. Someone had to have put a curse on them. Maybe it was the Colts fans, who were really enraged to discover that the Baltimore Colts had moved to Indianapolis in 1984, very soon after the Orioles won the World Series. And maybe they cursed the wrong team. That's it. They cursed the wrong team. That's your answer. You got to reverse the curse, Baltimore fans. Back to the Cubs. It wasn't like they didn't try to win one. They tried as hard as they could. In 1969, Billy Goat Cianis announced that the curse was off. He had spoken in anger, he said. This was 24 years later, but he did say it. The Cubs began that season winning and were holding a first place lead. They were sure they were going all the way. But as the season started drawing to a close, the 1969 Miracle Mets overtook the Cubs to claim first place, knocking the hapless Cubs out of contention. Maybe Cianis had forgiven, but apparently the GOAT knew how to hold a grudge forever. In 1973, Billy Goat Cianis' nephew and new tavern owner Sam Cianis, with the help of Tribune columnist Dave Condon, brought the GOAT to Wrigley Field in an effort to lift the curse. The GOAT was given the royal treatment, arriving at Wrigley in a white limo and given a red carpet entrance to the park with a sign saying, All is forgiven. Let me lead the Cubs to the pennant. This goat was a descendant of Murphy and his name was Socrates. But everyone knows that the offspring of a goat can't reverse the curse of former generations. It's in the book. 
Plus, the ushers somehow missed their cue and denied Socrates a seat or even a place to stand and bleat. It was a huge, I think they say huge, mistake, and the Cubs saw their early season lead fade away to another losing season. Then, eleven losing years went by. It was 1984, and the Tribune Company, the newspaper, owned the Cubs. They invited the goat to opening day at Wrigley in an attempt to lift the curse. Sam and his goat walked the outfield grass, the goat pausing to sniff here and there as if looking for a place to sit down. Sam raised his hat and announced, The curse is lifted, to magnanimous cheers. The Cubs won that day, and kept winning, until they reached postseason, taking the first two games of the National League Championship against the San Diego Padres. All they needed was to win just one of the next three games at San Diego to earn a ticket to the World Series. Sam and his goat had agreed to go along with them to San Diego, but someone upstairs got too busy and forgot to arrange transportation for them. So they waited back in Chicago and were watching the game in the bar on TV. Sam, the goat, and a whole bar full of fans. The Cubs lost games three and four, and the last game was their last chance. The Cubs were leading the Padres three to two in the seventh inning, with only eight outs needed to win. And then they'd make it to the World Series. Just eight outs. Their ace pitcher, Rick Sutcliffe, was on the mound. Then things got weird. A routine ground ball was hit to first baseman Leon Durham, and the ball dribbled through his legs, allowing the tying run to score. An overworked Rick Sutcliffe gave up three more runs, and the Padres swept the Cubs in San Diego, and swept the Cubs out of their World Series chance. Fast forward to 1989. Sam Zianis and his goat trod the outfield turf again on opening day to try their best to reverse the curse. Just like five years ago, the Cubs again won their way to first place, and their second division title in five years. But the goat got left behind again in postseason play where the Cubs lost to the San Francisco Giants four games to one. In 1994, the still-losing Cubs were in desperate need, and that called for desperate measures. They had a terrible start that season, losing 12 home games in a row. Sam Cianis and his goat were denied access to the stadium once again. The people started chanting, Let the goat in! Let the goat in! And it so happened that Hall of Famer Ernie Banks was there, and he found Sam and his goat and brought them into the stadium to the delight of the crowd. The Cubs won that game 5-2, to two, ending their worst home season start ever. Would the Cubs owner ever get wise? Apparently not, at least not all the way. During the tie-breaking game on September 28th, the Cubs brought in Sam and his goat, and the Cubs won 5-3. to three. But then they had to play in Atlanta, and the Cubs did not bring the goat. You guessed it, they lost in Atlanta, and they were swept out of contention. In 2003, the Cubs were only five outs away from winning it all. A group of dedicated fans brought a billy goat named Virgil Homer to Houston to reverse the curse, but the fans were denied entrance to Minute Maid Park. But thinking quickly, they publicly unfurled a banner outside of the stadium proclaiming the curse to be officially over. Houston lost, and the Cubs won their first division title in 14 years. This was, incidentally, the year of the goat in the Chinese Zodiac, which might have helped. The Cubs were on a roll. Then they went on to beat the Atlanta Braves, winning their first postseason series in almost a 100 years. In the National League Championship Series against the Florida Marlins, the Cubs took a three-game lead, needing only one more victory to go to the World Series for the first time in 60 years. 
With Mark Pryor at the helm, they entered the eighth inning leading three to nothing, but the goat had been left behind. With only five outs needed to seal the deal, a fan interfered with a pop foul, taking away a sure out. Then Alex Rodriguez bobbled a routine ground ball, taking away the Cubs' chance for a double play. The pitcher finally broke down and allowed five more runs, and the Marlins not only won the game, but they swept the Cubs at home and out of the playoffs. On February 6, 2004, at the Harry Carey Restaurant in downtown Chicago, a baseball was electrocuted in an attempt to break the curse, leaving nothing but a smoldering heap of string behind. In 2008, a Greek Orthodox priest tried to end the curse by sprinkling holy water around the Cubs' dugout during the playoffs, but it didn't create any wins. On April 1, 2011, a social enterprise called Reverse the Curse actually sent goats to undernourished countries providing families with milk, cheese, and alternate incomes. On February 25, 2012, a group called Crack the Curse set out from the Cubs' training facilities in Mesa, Arizona to Wrigley Field, bringing along a goat named Wrigley. When they finally arrived there, they arranged to raise $100,000 for the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. This was goats doing good and hoping for forgiveness. Finally, in 2016, the Cubs defeated the Cleveland Indians, now the Cleveland Guardians, 4-3 to win their first World Series since 1908, becoming the sixth team in baseball history to come back from a 3-1 deficit in games to win a best-of-seven World Series and ending the longest world championship drought in history. That last game, Game 6, ended with a 5-0 shutout against the Los Angeles Dodgers at Wrigley Field on October 22, 2016. That day, that same day, October 22, 2016, was the 46th anniversary of Billy Cianis' death. It doesn't get any stranger than that. There are some things about the Chicago Cubs that you ought to know. I'm not making any personal criticisms about the Cubs' owners, but sometimes, as a rule, clubs tend to trade away their best players to keep costs down so they can make more profit. It so happens that to this date, 43 former Cubs players won World Series titles after being traded from the Cubs. And I couldn't help wonder if any Cubs pitchers had pitched a perfect game. Perfect games are very rare in baseball. It turns out that Milt Pappas was one pitch away from a perfect game in 1972 when he walked a batter. And that's as close as you get. And lastly, this is for you fans of old TV shows. Do you remember the rifleman, Chuck Connors? Did you know he played 66 games for the 1951 Cubs, hitting 239 with two homers and 18 RBIs? Thanks for joining us for a little baseball history with the Curse of the Billy Goat. If you enjoy our show here at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries, and if you listen using Apple or Stitcher.com, Please do send us a review. We appreciate reviews very much, and they help new listeners find us. We also appreciate our Patreon supporters, and we're asking you to check out Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash 1001 Stories Network. And for about the price of a blended coffee, you can help support our 1001 Network shows as we move forward to 2001. For now, everyone, take care, stay safe, and we'll be back next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time with a brand new episode. And they were all thrilling. And they were all dramatic. Too bad we couldn't have had a victory that meant a pennant. But that will come. Sure as God made green apples, someday the Chicago Cubs are going to be in the World Series. And maybe sooner than we think. 
it seems to me that we don't have too much time. It seems the ingredients, the nucleus is there. It's just a matter, I don't know who the manager's gonna be. I don't know whether it be Essien, whether it be Jim Fry, whether it be Davey Johnson. One thing's certain, it requires a veteran manager because this is a veteran team. It's a mixture of guys who are young, but still are veterans. Oh! Uh -huh.